0: Hey guys, welcome to Spirit Pig. This is the show that explores how to live a fulfilled life. I'm Duncan CJ and today I'm speaking with Eric Edmeads. Eric is a serial entrepreneur with around 25 years of experience, international business experience owning, running, starting up and setting companies in a huge, huge variety of different industries. He's also an author and international speaker who has shared the stage with the likes of Tony Robbins, Les Brown, President Bill Clinton, and Sir Richard Branson. And Eric runs transformational seminars, workshops, and retreats all around the world and has helped people in over 20 countries, I believe, transform their businesses, their relationships, and their health and well-being. So huge honor for being here. Thanks so much, Eric. I really appreciate it. Glad to be here. Now I saw a quote um, from like back in 1995, and so this was almost 21 years ago. So this may be completely outdated, but you said success in life is most easily measured by the number of days you are truly happy. Has your definition changed massively over 21 years, or does that still sound? No, like it's right? right
1: there. It's still right there. Like uh, you know, it's it's funny. I didn't even know that that got picked up as a meme or a quote or what have you. And then one day somebody wrote to me on Skype, and it was there, and, and I saw this in their subject line. I'm like. This is 15 years ago. And I go, where did you get that from? And she sent me to a website where she found the quote. And I was like, wow, you know, 10 years on. And it's still very much the way I believe life is. You know, we can measure things monetarily. We can measure things in terms of our family and relationship and all that stuff. But I really, at the end of the day, how much are you enjoying yourself? You know, and and I think that is the single best measure of this, regardless of somebody's economic position or anything else.
0: Yeah. And once a year, I know that you spend, I think you dedicate, what, like two full days to properly, like, taking stock, analyzing your life, all parts of it, and working out basically where you are now and where you want to be. Like, how important do you feel that exercise is?
1: It's, it's everything. I mean, I, you know, I, I think that if you look at the way most people do life evaluation, um, you know, most people do life evaluation two days of the year. They do it on their birthday and don't do it at all. And then they do it on December 31st. And they, you know, develop a rough idea of the way their life is and the way they would like it to be. And then they make a series of commitments that they generally break before one o'clock in the morning on January the 1st. Um, and that's kind of the, the the extent of the vast majority of people's course corrections. And, you know, I like the old metaphor of, you know, how, you know, a plane flying from, you know, LA to Hawaii spends most of its time off course. But the reason it gets there is it's correcting course on a microsecond basis. And, you know, so I look at this and go, well, you know, most people are only correcting course mildly once a year and they're not even doing a really solid course correction. And so, you know, I've, I've had this policy. I won't say I've done it every single year, but I've definitely noticed the years I haven't done it. But, uh, you know, spending two days, as you say, evaluating, hey, where am I right now? What's great about that? What could be better? Where would I like to be a year, two, three years from now? And what are the barriers like what are, or, or, or what are the obstacles that need to be overcome to get there? And by spending that two days really you know, getting into my stuff, getting into my beliefs that might be in the way, uh, you know, values that I might be misaligned about, habits that are holding me back or habits I need to move me forward, then what happens is not only am I having a serious course correction conversation once a year, but I'm also giving myself criteria to correct course on a, you know, on a weekly basis, a daily basis, and in some areas of my life even on an hourly basis.
0: And we're looking at all aspects I and mean, when we're talking like, well, like business health and relationships, yeah. like, uh, entertainment. And so really to take stock of the full picture.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I generally will pick a five, you know, five fundamental kind of pillar areas, health, well being, you know, health and well being, and finance and that kind of stuff. And I'll look at those five core areas, but of course you can delve deep into them. Like I have one area that I consider social and social underneath social is your family, your friends, your primary relationship. You know, those are subcategories within mm-hmm. that. and, and uh, you know, and, and may, some people say to me, "Well, Eric, it seems like you take this awfully seriously." You know, it's like you know, l- relax a little. And I'm like, you know, I, what I do not want to do is arrive at the end of my life and go, "Gee, you know, I wish I'd given this a little more thought." I, you know, I, I don't think very many of us are come to the end going, "I wish I just spent more time watching Lost." You know? <laughs> I just don't think anybody's going to feel that way.
0: Yeah, no, I think I think almost a lot of us of let life happen to us, you know, when you're almost, you're on a treadmill and you, kind of, you suddenly shit, think shit, like two years have passed and what's actually, what have you actually done?
1: So yeah. Anyway. yeah.
0: What, um, one, one story, which I kind of want to like ask you about is I think it was what 20, 25 years ago, you were in Vancouver and you heard this talk by this guy and he discussed how your word is your only real value in life. Like if people can't trust your word, then you don't have any value. What kind of impact did that have on you?
1: You know, it, it was so profound to me. I listened to that talk, and I thought a lot about it. And, and, and I and I and then I started observing, you know, society and, and the way society treats one's word. And and so, you know, I make the joke quite frequently that Hollywood has, you know, depreciated the word promise to the point of ridiculousness. You know, to the point, in fact, that you know, you now can watch a movie, and if somebody promises that they'll be right back, you absolutely know they're not going to be right back. <laughs> You know, it's, it's, it's almost to that point where they've just taken the word promise and diluted it to being meaningless. And, and so I, I, I decided that in my life, I would having, you know, having heard that talk, I I just thought, you know, I want to be at a place in my life where if I promise something to someone else, but more importantly, frankly, to myself, that it actually transpires, that I will actually follow through. And, and, and I think, you know, I often joke that right after that talk, I went a whole year without breaking any promises. And of course, what was the magic formula? I didn't make any, you know, and, and that's the first step really in making something valuable is is, is is reducing the supply of it. You make it a lot more valuable when you cut off the supply. So I cut off the supply of promises. I didn't, people would ask me, are you going to be at my party on Thursday? I'd go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they go, do you promise? And I go, no. <laughs> well, you said you'd be there, but you didn't promise. They go, look, I said, yes, it's my intention. My plan is to be there, but I don't promise because- promising would mean that if I was driving on my way to your house and suddenly I got a fat tire and then I had to change it and all this stuff, that i would still have to be there. Whereas if I just say yes, then it's acceptable that maybe stuff happens where I I couldn't make it happen. And so I I measure promises on a whole nother level. A promise means absolutely without fail, it will happen. And after a year of not making any promises, I slowly started to release the odd promise when somebody asked me to get something done or if I would help them with something or what have you. And I would say, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And I promise. And then what happened within my circle of friends and within my close relationships is they began to understand that they knew 100% that if I promised something that it was going to happen. And, uh, man, that changes everything. It changes the nature of partnerships. It changes the nature of friendships. But the biggest thing that it changed is my own self-esteem. Because if you really think about it, you know, you get to this place where it's like the more often you say something that doesn't come true, then the less faith you have in yourself. You get to a point where, you know, I just keep saying I'm going to get this done. I keep saying I'm going to work out more and then I never do. You know, and then that that is a you know negative self-propagating spiral of, of 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 lack of achievement, and and so as much as keeping promises to other people became really valuable to me, the thing that really became valuable to me was keeping promises to me, and you know, like I, to this day, if I make myself a promise, I will keep it. This is this is really important because you see, the vast majority of us don't really recognize that we're all a little schizophrenic. I mean, we all are. We have the one voice that says, I'm not going to eat that stuff anymore. And then the other voice that later on goes, yeah, but now it's a special occasion, (laughs) right? I mean, it's a form of schizophrenia. It's a, it's a time perceptive or it's a a time perception induced schizophrenia where in one time period, we feel a certain way. And in another time period, another personality comes out and feels another way. And, and, and the problem is the one that we should be looking or listening that looking to or listening to is the one with the higher purpose. The one with the higher purpose is the one saying, hey, I'm here to take care of your temple, your body, your health for the long haul. So no, you shouldn't be eating that thing. And then the other one, the, 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 the hedonist is going to say, yeah, but just this once, the problem is, is just this once is every day
0: yeah,
1: or every week or what have you. And so I got to a place where I didn't break promises to myself either. And, and I learned a lot of lessons about this. Like I am really careful about promises. I one day promised myself that I would work out every single day for a year. I hated that promise. <laughs> I hated that promise for a year because here's what would happen is I, I, this happened, I mean, with my schedule, the way I live, I'm like, you know, I, there are days where working out is just really not practical, no matter how committed you are. And so I would come to the end of two flights and I'd get to my hotel room and I had time zones and I'm tired and I'd lie in bed, pull the blanket up. And I would just be dozing off and I'd be checking in with my day and I would go, Oh my God, I haven't worked out today. And my promise is that I have to work out today. Now, what most people would do at that place they' go i 'll just work out twice as hard tomorrow
0: yeah
1: that 's not keeping your promise. My promise was to work out every day. I got out of the bed and I did the workout, and I had defined a minimum workout, which was I think like you know twenty five push ups twenty five sit ups, and you know like ten minutes of some sort of cardio. so out to the hotel, I go, I go up and down the stairs for ten minutes, I do my thing, and so on and and then I sleep and I, and, and so, the lesson I got from this is just to even be more careful about making promises. <laughs>
0: yeah you mentioned one about what the sugar is and I rather than being like I'm going to give up sugar forever when you say hey I'm going to give up sugar for what like a month and say so, yeah. hey this is a promise you know you can keep rather than like I'll be your own, own like sort of enemy
1: yeah exactly yeah exactly, exactly. So interesting. and I think you can do it for too short a period of time as well like you know a lot a lot of my uh, I you know I know a lot of people that are in Alcoholics Anonymous for example and you know frankly I love the basic idea of one day at a time I think it's kind of cool but I know me if I'm not an alcoholic, I don't even drink alcohol. So, you know, there's no chance of me becoming one. But, but, you know, if I were an alcoholic, the idea of one day at a time for me would be, um, would be too many decisions to make, you know, like, I I don't want to have to decide that every day, Uh, what I would want to do is, and I understand that, you know, partially, it's a metaphor, but what I would want to do is start off by saying, I'm going to make a promise that for 30 days, I'm not going to do this. And then I'm going to make another promise for another 30 days or whatever. So you've got to kind of figure out this, the, the, in my mind, you got to figure out the window that's both long enough to be compelling and um, short enough that it's not overwhelming.
0: Yeah. What do you mean by happiness and fulfillment in life is driven by our ability to overcome outdated software? What's that about?
1: I don't know where you even found that. Uh, you know, I, um, that comes from a talk that I've only ever done once. And, and I'm actually, funny enough, about to do it again at Awesomeness Fest in, uh, in Greece. Um, but it's a talk about the realities of evolutionary psychology, our, our genetic makeup. You know, like, you know, um, if you consider the lifespan of, of homo sapiens and our immediate um, predecessors, you know, all the way back to, say, australopithecine, we've got, say, a five million year history on this planet. And for 4.9999999 for ad nauseum year, percentage of that, we, we, didn't, um, we didn't have YouTube and Google and, and, and fast food and sugar. We didn't have those things. We didn't have cities with phenomenal numbers of people. We didn't have cars. What we had was the bush. What we had was the wilderness. And so, and, and, and if you think a little bit further, if you think a little bit deeper into this and you consider how many ancestors you have, and you have two parents, four grandparents, eight, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256, fifty-six, five, twelve, 12, 1,000, 2,000, 4,000, 8,000, 16,000. We're only a few generations back and 8,000 people went into you and a few more beyond that and a million people went into making who you are. And, and they are the people that survived when the infant mortality rate was 80% which means that for every million that survived, eight million didn't even make it, you are an unbelievably unlikely occurrence. You are. I am. We're unbelievably unlikely occurrences. But in order for us to get here, what had to happen was our ancestors had to evolve the ideal physiology and the ideal psychology for surviving in that environment. But we've since moved to a new environment. And the new environment, I mean, the best example of this is that there is a fundamental and powerful craving among Homo sapiens to eat sweet things. It's by design; we're supposed to have that craving because in nature, sweet things were seasonal, rare, and good for us. So we had to have a craving to go get them, because they, you know, they wouldn't be around long. So if you didn't have a craving, you'd go, I'll get it next week. Well, it's gone next week. <laughs> so we have this undeniably strong, pain, uh, uh, you know, craving. Old software, but we live now in a time. When sugar is everywhere, and of course the food manufacturers are all over this, and that's why now in the United States, sixty percent of all production food has refined sugar or corn syrup in it. Because what they're doing is they're appealing to your base instincts and damaging you by default.
0: And those, so we've just we've, we've outgrown that, and it's just I mean, it has what evolution just like not caught up, and so it's just weird. Just, it can't. Yeah, evolution
1: it's... is a evolution is a painfully slow process. <laughs> it, it, you're talking like. It, you know it, it it takes like a million years to make a substantive impact on a on a species <laughs> it takes 5 million years to create a species now obviously this these are numbers are not you know exact science and 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 different species have different what you might call evolutionary velocities you know the fruit fly with a 24 hour life cycle has a gen, has 365 generations a year we have one one generation per for 40 years so it's it's a every species has a different um you know kind of evolutionary window here but, but our, you know, we are, we are genetically the same as we were 200 years ago, the same as we were 2000 years ago. We're not substantially different. Uh, you know, if you think about the way stress works, right? stress was meant to be a short term adrenaline firing, save your ass in the worst situation, instant Save the tooth tiger, get the head yeah, out of there. Get the hell out, you know, yeah. fight, fight, flight or freeze, right? Those are the only things like as somebody, you probably know, I do a lot of wildlife photography and nature conservation work. I have no kidding nearly been killed by rhinos and, and, and I've walked routinely. I mean, just a few, just in December, I was walking in the bush in South Africa and 14 walking, I was not in a safari vehicle <laughs> and 14 lions ran out of the bush in front of us with cubs. I mean, this is not the safest thing in the world, right? So in that moment, you're, you're supposed to experience some stress. Your heart rate is supposed to pick up. Your adrenal lens are supposed to fire and you're supposed to start breathing in the top of your lungs. And you, and, and all those things to create fight, flight, or freeze. And of course, now what happens is people get a visa bill and they want to fight, fight or or you know, they, what's going on there. Right. And then, and, and, and also like if it's, if it's, you know, 10,000 years ago and, and I go hunting and I bump into a lion and you go, Hey Eric, how's your hunting trip? I go, well, it was pretty scary. We saw a lion and then that's the end of it. Right. You know, three weeks later, you're going to go, hey, Eric, do you remember when you saw that lion? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we, that was like three weeks ago, right? Now, if somebody asks you, so why didn't you get that promotion at work this week? Well, when I was 12, there was this lion and we carry this stuff with us forever.
0: So what can we, knowing this, understanding this, how can we counter this? What kind of, what kind of things can we put in place to sort of...
1: Well, you know, this is a really long conversation, longer, longer, obviously, than we have time for a, sure. in a, an interview. But, uh, you know, what we're really talking in a sense is a little bit like biohacking. It's like taking a look and saying, hey, uh, and I don't mean the, the kind of biohacking where they actually attach stuff to you. I mean, internal biohacking where, you know, my metaphor is you've got this consciousness, your, your body, your mind. And the metaphor is that you have ROM, read only memory. This is your instincts. It went into, you know, th- this is what you inherited. You were born with instincts, ROM, read only memory. Then what you've got is RAM. So this is your, your, the, the place where you think. It's where you hold thoughts in your consciousness. Like in that moment, I'm thinking about a certain kind of car, so I see that car wherever I look. But then on top of that, you have apps. And apps are the lessons that you learn in life. You have rule apps. Like, you know, most people have learned that public speaking is terrifying, right? So that's an app that they run, how to become terrified of public speaking. It's a ridiculous app. Nobody was born with this app, but most people run the app nonetheless. And so what you have to start to take a look at is that some of those apps can actually be taken out. They can be taken out, deleted, replaced, and what have you. But when you start talking about the ROM-based applications, the stuff that's built right into the operating system, now, now it's tough, right? So, for example, the, the craving for sugar is built right into the operating system, and now sugar's around us all the time, right? So, the, so, so what you then start to look at is what are the hacks that I can use to get past that? Well, let's look at nature, Sugar, real simple one. You know, we wouldn't have had the craving for sugar all the time. We would have had the craving when it was appropriate to have it. How would we know it was appropriate to have it? Well, because we'd be eating it, which would which would tell us that it was in season, which would trigger the craving for more. So we all know this. When you eat sugar, it makes you want to eat more sugar. We know that. Yeah. So then, what you have to do is make a promise, or <laughs> the promises come in because the promises are one of the biggest tools in the world of biohacking. If you if you can figure out how to make and keep a promise to yourself, you can overcome these instincts significantly more easily. So now you make a promise yourself 30 days without sugar, right? And if you can maintain that, but bearing in mind, most people have no idea what sugar means. Like they don't realize that sugar means a million things, right? I mean, potatoes are sugar. You know, at the end of the day, they're, 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 all of those things, like if you eat potatoes or bread, they're going to make you want to eat chocolate. or They're going to make you want to eat more potatoes and bread. But you do 30 days without that stuff. And guess what? Then your body gets this signal, oh, the sweet things are no longer in season. This craving is now pointless, and it goes away. So I do not crave sugar. Like, I check into my hotel room. I don't even, I I think my wife threw them away. Hang on. Where are these things? I check into my hotel room, and there's a bag of, um, you know, chocolate nuts or something. (laughs) I've been in this room for a week. I'm in Copenhagen. Uh, There's no chance of me eating them. They're super expensive, super high quality, beautiful things in a gorgeous hotel there's no chance that I would eat them because I don't want to. But I would have wanted to, if I hadn't broken the addiction, if I hadn't, if I hadn't biohacked that, that craving.
0: So interesting. I love it. I always think it's so fascinating like learning actually through back in like caveman days, how there's so many things that we're still holding on to. What, what is certainty? Like why is it so important to let go of the need of, for certainty?
1: Well, First of all, it's an illusion to begin with. There is no certainty. There is no certainty of anything. I mean, I, this is crazy and probably getting cliched at this point. I, I've been saying it for years and years. So, you know, and 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 so have others. So, I think it'll it'll be a cliché soon enough. But you're you're you are right now sitting on a rock that's rotating at an incredibly high speed and whipping through space at sixty five thousand miles per hour. And there are comets all over the place. And when you look at a picture of the solar system and it looks all neat and tidy with the planets, you should take a look at the solar system with all the cosmic dust and materials and rocks in it, and you'd realize it's a crapshoot out there, man. Like, <laughs> you, you, we we exist through the grace of the, the right accidents happening every single day where things aren't, you know, what I'm getting at is that certainty is already, um, is already an illusion. Mm. And, and, and so when we become attached to certainty, what that makes us want to do is hold on to things. And when you hold on to things, you can't move.
0: Mm. Do you like, do you feel that? I don't know what, what is sort of esoteric? Like, do you kind of feel like if you believe, do you believe that, if you trust trust in life, that it sort of take care of you? Or where's where where's your kind of thoughts with regards to that?
1: You know, yeah, you're kind of going almost into the sort of, you know, spiritual, theological, you know, is there a God? And all
0: this kind of stuff. <laughs> just, just open that up right at the end of the interview. Is there a God? Yeah, why not?
1: Why don't we just do that when we have 45 seconds? I'm kidding. But, you know, he, he, here it is. Here's another one of my little, you know, meme quotes, if you put it. But, like, this is one of my basic ideas is, that um, however you view your past will color your view of the future. And so what that means is, is that if you regard your past with anger, fear, resentment and, and hatred and all this, you know, uh, negative emotion about things that happened in your past, then when you turn around and look at the future, you will naturally make the assumption that your future is going to be full of negativity, anger, hatred and resentment. Um, And so what uh, one of my fundamental core beliefs is the more grateful you can become with your present or sorry, with your past, the more grateful you can become for your past, the greater faith you will have in the future. So it is not that by having faith, the universe will start taking care of you. It's already taking care of you right now. It's taking care of you and it's giving you whatever you need in the moment to experience whatever. We did not come here to be bored. You know, Jim Rohn used to say, if you bought a book and the first chapter was boring, you know, everything's going to be okay. You might read the second chapter, but man, if everything was still okay by the end of the second chapter, you're not going to finish that book. Well, you didn't come here into this life for everything to be okay all the time. You didn't. You came into the life for drama and experience and love and heartbreak and and and, and disappointment and elation, all of it. I don't even think you could taste elation if you didn't have disappointment. I don't think you'd ever you'd appreciate it. Yeah, And so – what I take a look at is I'm saying, all right, the more grateful I can become for my past. If I can get to a place where I am quite literally grateful for everything that's ever happened to me, everything I've done or not done, if I can get to that plane of absolute gratitude for my past, then when I turn around and I look to my future, I'm going to go, well, that doesn't look very nice, but I'll be grateful for it one day. And, and I'll give you the most perfect example of this is that in August of this year, my wife and I arrive home and, and, and the driver that we hired to, to get us back to the house, We stopped off at the grocery store to pick up groceries. We hadn't been home in six months. We had almost everything we owned with us because we'd been on tour for so long, traveling all over the world, working with people all over the world. And all of a sudden we get home and while we're in shopping, the guy, the driver who we knew, um, you know, had some kind of weird family problem, I suppose. And he arranged to have everything we owned stolen, everything. Laptops. I had just spent um, a week with the Hadza Bushman with original photography, with questions that I'd collected from, I had questions in from, John Gray and Tony Robbins and all these cool people that sent me questions to ask the Bushmen. And I'd done all these interviews on tape, all the video gone. All my, I, I, I just spent, uh, I'd just been with the, the chimpanzees of Mahale and Greystoke, wild chimpanzees, all these folks photog- gone because there was just too much data to dump to the cloud from Africa. So all these things are gone. Laptops gone, passports gone, money gone, clothing gone, jewelry gone, all gone. So how do you feel? Anger, resentful. I did. I looked in the back of the truck and I felt absolutely terrible. I was so full of anger and resentment. And then I stopped for a second and I said, wait a minute now. How does anger or resentment help me at the moment? If the guys were here right now, anger could be helpful, right? You know, adrenaline, anger, go beat somebody up, get my stuff back. But they're gone. So now there's no point. And my poor wife's over here crying, upset, inconsolable. And in that moment, I said to myself, but you know, Eric, Everything that's ever happened to you in the past, everything that you've ever regarded as an absolute calamity. I I had an employer completely scam me so badly once that I had to quit my job. We're living in a foreign country, and I thought it was the most terrible thing in the world. Ended up being the greatest gift. When I was 18 years old, somebody lit me on fire. I had to have my arm rebuilt from skin they took from my legs. I am so grateful that that happened. So if I can be grateful of those things, maybe one day I'm going to look back on this empty van, and I'm going to be grateful that all the stuff was stolen. And then my mind said, no. No, you're not. And I said, No, maybe I am. But if I was going to be why might it be? And I thought I couldn't think of something. And I was like, No, no, no but just think of one thing. What could what could you one day be grateful about uh, this event? And I said, You know, I can think of one thing. Neither my wife nor me has a laptop and it will take two weeks to get replacement laptops because we use the super Mac out max and I got to fly to New York to go get one because we live in the Caribbean. I had two weeks without a laptop. You know what, that's going to be really good for our relationship. We're going to hang out, go for more walks on the beach than we usually do. Nice dinners out. We'll cook more because we don't have our computers to distract us and, you know, be working all the time. I thought, you know, actually, that's going to be pretty cool. Plus we'll get to do a lot more kiteboarding than we usually do because I've all this work to do and now I can't do it. And then also my wife hasn't, you know, her Mac is like three years old. She won't let me buy a new one for her, but, and I'm her IT director, right? So I have to <laughs> So now I get to buy her a new Mac. And, and I started looking at all the stuff And then finally, I had this big realization that, holy crap, if this happened to us five years ago, it would have been heartbreaking because we had put a lot of money into a company we bought and we were in deep financial trouble. And if we lost $40,000 worth of stuff, passports and everything back then, it would have been soul destroying. And I'm like, thank God it happened now. And by the end of this whole conversation, I started going, I'm going to get to buy my wife all new clothes. That's going to be great. I'm going to buy myself a new Mac. I got this going on. We're going to go kiteboarding all week. I started going, this is wicked. (laughs) You know what? I've been wanting to live without a cell phone. I've been wanting to experiment about life without a cell phone for ages, but I've never had discipline. Now my phone is gone and I'm not buying a new one. Awesome. By the way, I lived for six and a half months without a mobile phone after that. Six and a half months, no mobile phone. I wrote an 80,000 word fiction book. With no effort, with, with, uh, I got more done in the following six months after all our stuff got stolen than I got done in the previous two years. And, and I got a glimpse of that as I was looking into the back of the van. And so I turned to my wife and I said to her, everything's going to be okay. And she says, what do you mean everything's going to be okay? All our stuff is gone. And I said, let me just tell you right now with confidence, with certainty, I can tell you, everything is going to be okay. You and I are about to have the funnest two weeks we've had in a whole long time. I promise she stopped crying and she started to feel better. And then we had the best two weeks you could imagine. And then I wrote a book and then I got more work done than I can imagine. And we're having the most incredible year in our business because I had six months of completely different perspective.
0: It's a great story. <laughs> what does a fulfilled life mean to you?
1: It means enjoying it. It means enjoying it. And, and that means that, you know, uh, whatever you are, you know, be a good one. Like, you know, when I was with the Bushman, Tony Robbins had asked me this question for the Bushman. He asked me, he gave me two questions to ask the Bushman, And he said, he said, ask them this, what happens after you die? And what's the purpose of life? So I asked the Bushman, I said, what happens after you die? And he goes, I don't know. You're not there. So, you know, and I go, okay, but what happens after you die? And he goes, well, the villagers will usually move villages because after a while, the body will start to stink. So, <laughs> I go, that's what happens after you die. I know. What happens to you after you die? And he goes, well, nothing. You're dead. And I was, I, was, I thought that was fantastic. They had this, like, no theology, just like, it's over. You're here. Enjoy you yourself. <laughs> so said, okay, well, with that in mind then, what's the purpose of life? And he said, to be whatever you are fully. And I I, I mean, I think of that. As, this is a Bushman. We're not talking about somebody with Facebook. Uh, he doesn't own no a phone. He has no money. He doesn't farm. He literally is a hunter-gatherer living what we think of as a stone age existence. Right. And he says, you know, the purpose of life is to be whatever you are, to be it well. And, and, and I said, well, yeah, but okay. You're a Bush. He said, he, he said, he goes, I'm a Bushman. So I should be a good Bushman and you're a city person. So you should be a good city person. And I said, okay, that's fair. But what if I want to be a Bushman? And he goes, then decide, become one and become one properly. And I think that's it right there. Fulfillment is in being the best possible version you can be of yourself and enjoying your life to the, to the deepest possible extent you can.
0: I love that. What is one thing all our listeners can do today that have a massive positive effect on their lives?
1: In a very real way, your question violates my entire principle <laughs> because, because everybody has their own level of enjoyment. I mean, in a, crazy, in a crazy sense, I would have to say, well, listen, all the serial killers, if they're going to have the best day, they've got to go kill someone. <laughs> that's where they get their enjoyment from, right? I'm kidding I'm, but the point is, is that we all have our different things for some people going outside and going for a walk every day is exactly the right answer for other people like my my normal stock answer if you wanted my normal simple stock answer I'd say make people smile that'd be it you, you want to make a big difference in your life then your goal is go out into the world and make other people smile because it will make you feel good every time you make them smile but the reality is that doesn't get everybody off not everybody is into that right and so you know, I, I, I'm not sure there is one thing. And I, so with that, I'll take the chicken out answer. And I'll say, if you really want to do one thing to make sure you live the most fulfilling life, to live the happiest possible, life you can take care of your body. <laughs> Last one of these can people stay in touch the website, obviously Eric I'm, I'm on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Eric I'm on Twitter. I'm fairly active on social media. And, uh, I do, you know, a series of workshops and lectures and seminars around the world. I do really cool leadership programs where I take people up Kilimanjaro. So, you know, if you're up to serious adventure, then you definitely got to look me up. And, um, yeah, I mean, those are the best ways to keep in touch.
0: Eric, thank you so much. I really appreciate you, uh, you speaking to me today. <laughs> no worries. It's been fun. <laughs>